Welcome to Change My Mind, the podcast that tackles real life issues that you can relate to. Each episode focuses on one specific topic with an expert to give you all the answers you'll need as you step out into this world. I'm Georgie Clark, and this is Change My Mind. Alistair Heather is a Scottish writer, broadcaster and presenter. He's contributed to thatguy.co.uk and opened up a dialogue about how men can stop making women feel unsafe. After listening to his show, Am I That Guy? on BBC, I had to get him in to record an episode with me to discuss the topics of male violence and harassment towards women. So Alistair, thank you for coming in today and talking about this. This is a really, we were just discussing it, a vulnerable topic for men to speak about because I know from my experience a lot of guys don't necessarily feel comfortable having this kind of conversation and I really do feel from all of your work that I've seen that you are really opening the dialogue up for men to be able to have this conversation so I guess what I want to know is when did you first start becoming an activist in this area and start thinking about this topic and discussing it? Those are two very different things. When did I become aware of it? Yeah. And when did I start thinking about doing something? Okay. When I started thinking about doing something, it's really easy to answer. During COVID, I got what I thought was a bit of a job of a lifetime. The football club I support, Dundee United Football Club, world famous, I'm sure you all know them. But they uh, said we need someone to kind of produce and present the match day coverage while fans can't get in the stadium, right? Lovely. Absolutely loved it. Went over there and did two seasons working with that club. But that meant I got loads and loads of young male followers on social media. Mm -hmm. And I got a tremendous legitimacy with young men in the city of Dundee. Mm -hmm. Now, that coincided 2020 with Dundee being revealed in a study as being the worst place in Scotland to be a girl. Mm -hmm. And I moved there from Amsterdam, where I'd been living before. Prior to that, I'd been living in Geneva. Prior to that, I'd been working at a university. All those places, women were far safer and far more equal than they were in Dundee, mm-hmm. in the Dundee that I returned to. I re- it was really striking seeing how unsafe women were, how constantly harassed women were, and also just these group chats I was in, in the footballing world, were so full of really aggressive sexism from genuinely quite nice men the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, none of these guys were what you describe as monsters. None of them were, like, sort of coked-up knuckleheads. They're, a lot of them were family guys, mm-hmm. but they're conversation around women hadn't changed since the 1920s you know Mm -hmm. like I was getting colleagues who were supposed to be filming the game filming women's bodies like in crowds and then like showing that in the group chat like haha check out this woman oh wow Um, so I mentioned that you did it was a radio show on BBC called am I that guy hmm. I was when I listened to it you know it was the first time I think I'd ever felt like a man had actually heard what I was feeling where did you get like your self-awareness from? Like, was it speaking to women in your family? Like, where where was the influence from for you to basically create that dialogue on there? Honestly, I think women listening to this will be like knocking their heads against the brick wall when I say it was like twelve or thirteen years of women consistently telling me yeah. the same thing. 
And so at 17, I was going in Dundee with good female friends mm-hmm. who were saying things like, God, I went to the toilet there in, say, a nightclub and three or four random hands come at the crowd and just grabbed parts of my body on the way. And I'd be like, oh, that's weird. Weird that that thing happened to you. How unusual. Yeah. And I totally didn't universalise that experience. I was like, right. weird that that happened to X friend. But I didn't realise that that was just happening to absolutely everyone. Mm-hmm. The most important person in my slow coming in terms of this and challenging a lot of my really toxic behaviours that I came from Dundee with was a long-term partner I had in New Zealand who was called Charlotte. I'm sure she won't mind me name checking her here. <laughs> we were both, I think, 19 when we got together and she was a uni student and we're living in like a fairly sort of a like low part of town. But she worked for the local women's refuge. And Mm. throughout the night, she'd be getting emergency phone calls from women in tremendous danger. She'd leap in a car and drive and get them out of there and get them to a safe house. Mm -hmm. She was so on the sharp end of this. And she was so instructive in letting me know that these things are not one-off. I grew up in a home with a lot of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. She helped me understand that that was not a one-off. It's not related to the woman. It's not related to the individual circumstances. It's not because he was having a bad day or like she provoked him or anything like that it was this the widespread international cultural phenomenon of male violence against women mm-hmm. and so she was the one that started to turn me on to it and really helped in reforming my own behaviors mm-hmm. like I was never like an ex- at the extreme end of these things mm-hmm. but in terms of old school masculine norms I was yes. I was enacting a lot of that yeah at that time I had no power I was I was a laborer I had no influence you know I was mm-hmm. quite a, I was just quite a quiet wee quiet wee guy but she very much laid the groundwork for me understanding these things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that really opened my eyes to... It's quite a lot of exposure for you in one period of your life. Massively. That you massively. hadn't actually probably ever really... It probably hadn't hit you before, I mm. imagine. And I didn't... I, even at that stage, I didn't have the theoretical framework. I hadn't read any good feminist literature or anything. I didn't understand exactly the mechanics mm-hmm. of what was going on. I didn't really understand where all that had come from. But I could clearly see that being the man was not the same as being a woman. Yeah, that's, yeah, it, that is exactly it. You've like nailed it there. So when I share things on my social media that are very sort of, I guess some men would look at it and be like, oh, she's such a feminist and it's this and it's that. and da, 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 da. It's not me doing that. It's me sharing my personal experiences. And I'm very, very careful. I never use the words all men. And my comments are just an influx of them saying, it's not all men, it's not all men, you're pointing the finger. And I always say, my response to that is always, it's not all men, but it's virtually all women. So where there's a discrepancy here, Mm. and it's enough women that men should really be looking, you know, among each other and being like, this is an issue, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be behaving like that, you shouldn't be saying that. Because I I feel, in my experience as a woman, I kept quiet about things that had happened to me personally for, I'd say, the first 28 years of my life. And the last two years, I you can't shut me up. I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I don't care who I offend. It's my own experience. And I know that other women are going through this. Mm. And it's just nice to have a conversation with a guy who actually is interested in having those conversations with men. So one of the reasons that I wanted to get you in is because when I listened to Am I That Guy, there was a guy on there that you spoke to called Graham. I, I can't remember what his surname was. Hmm. But he said something to me which has totally changed the way I have these conversations with the men in my life now. And he said... It's about calling men into the conversation instead of calling them out. And what I realize is, is that the guys in my life 
they feel like they can't ask questions about what's okay and what isn't okay or is that offensive or is it not offensive they feel so on edge to even like broach the topic mm. with mm. someone and i when i heard that i was like that is so interesting because if women sort of changed their way of not being so angry about it all the time and just being like hey you know yes this is the third time i've been catcalled today but I want to call you into a conversation with me and explain what it's like. But I feel like it is so much more profound coming from having that conversation male to male for some reason. It's like they can hear it more than when a woman is saying it to a man. Massively. There's a number of things you've touched on there that are really important. First of all, the, the male-to-male thing is what I'm all about. Like, I don't want to lead this whole conversation. I don't think men should be leading this whole conversation. People like you are doing such good work. The two years that you've done looking at your social media feeds, you see the number of women that feel empowered by what you say, that feel kind of... Um, unencumbered by mm-hmm. what you say. Like, they feel they can open up too. It's not easy for you, it's not easy for them, but it's a very necessary, it's a very healthy thing. That's wonderful. Men have a small role to play in this. People, like, I think, people like Graham in Am I That Guy, Graham Golden, do look him up, fantastic. But we have a role to play. It's a supplementary role, it's an auxiliary role to the role that you're playing, but it is that thing of men have tremendous peer pressure over other men. Mm-hmm. Like, we control what other men dress like. We control what teams other men support. We control so much of what happens in our male environments. Mm-hmm. We say what's right and wrong in there. We decide what, like, we'll mock you if your jacket's shite. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll tell you what beer you should be drinking. Like, peer pressure exerts such a strong, dominant force in men's lives. Because we, fundamentally, men like male company. We like hanging out with each other. We yeah. want to be part of the crew. And if we, you say, you've got loads of good male friends, I believe the majority of men are absolutely good and haven't been switched on to this or feel the conversation's not about them. Mm -hmm. But like other men saying to them, hey, let's be allies together in this and making our environments cleaner and safer so that when men leave our environment and go off and encounter women, as, you know, we all enjoy doing, Mm -hmm. we do so in a way that's respectful. And we do so in a way that like befits us as good modern men. It doesn't make us less manly to care about a woman's feelings. It's a brave thing to do. It's a good thing to do. And like... If you love your male friends, that's what it comes back to for me. I love my male pals. I've got a good group around me and I want them to be the best versions of themselves and I want them to be up to a high standard. It's like you're looking out for them. You're looking out for them 100% because you don't want them feeding into these negative environments. You, you don't want them being a bad actor. Yeah. So I think calling them in, as Graham says, like using the, the love and respect that your friends have for you to say, hey man, I know you're a good guy. I know you're not some monster like you see on the news, but the way you just spoke to that woman there or the way that you're speaking to your ex or something, Mm. that's not really on. Yeah. Like, I appreciate your hurt. I appreciate you're insulted, whatever, but that's no way to carry on. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not a neutral actor. Yeah. She's had men really abusive to her for the last 20 years. Yeah. You're becoming another one of them. Yeah. So don't like, yeah, I think the calling in is a really good phrase. You also said something on Am I That Guy? We will move on from that at some point. No, no. I I literally just want to pick your brains about it. You said, this is a quote, there is a gap between banter and male sexual entitlement. It's a small gap. And Mm -hmm. that's what I want to discuss with you is that it might start off with what you're saying, like just being a bit rude to her or, I don't know, calling her a whore or this or that. But in your opinion, sort of 
do you think then it is actually a really small gap between that and it leading on to something worse? Absolutely. So I don't think there's any doubt about that. So is this kind of like a increasing spectrum where you start with that kind of language that you're talking about where you're dehumanising someone, like very, very common for men amongst men to refer to certain women as bitches. Mm -hmm. And it's just that first way to start the dehumanising thing. Now, for a lot of men, that's as far as they go. And a lot of men would find, even if they wouldn't say it, they'd permit it. Now, a lot of men in that group will just allow that. But there'll be a few men in there that want to escalate that behaviour. And they'll escalate that language first. And by everyone else allowing it, they then think, oh, I'm okay. I can get away with saying this. I can then take it further. I can Mm -hmm. take it further. And you've seen with the real extreme cases around Sarah Everard, for example, of these men that are really dangerous, Mm. escalating their language, escalating their language in these group chats, most of the guys in there probably aren't feeling very comfortable, yeah. but they don't feel confident enough to speak to this guy and say, look, what you're, what you're saying is not okay. Mm. So he thinks what he's doing fine right up until he goes and takes it out mm. physically, takes it out of the yeah. group chat into the real world. It's almost like there's no consequences if someone is never being pulled up. In a group chat dynamic like that, if someone is continuously saying you know, outlandish things about women and insulting Mm. and rude and derogatory things. And not one person is calling them out on it. There must be a part of them that feels also like, oh, people are too scared to say to me that I'm wrong or this or that, and I can get away with this. And it's just going to, like you said, escalate. Mm. For men, I'm not saying the group chat's the right place to confront someone about it. I think, like, if they're a friend, get them one-on-one. Speak to them eye-to-eye and be like... And it it can be an uncomfortable... It can be a genuinely uncomfortable conversation and say, look, man, actually, some of the stuff you're putting in there is... It's a bit beyond the pale. You're better than that. Like, cut that out. Knock that on the head. You are better than that. And it is uncomfortable. Like, when I did that, am I that guy? Those were your friends, some of them, they were. They they? No, they were genuinely my friends. Like, Graham, I met just kind of professionally. Mm -hmm. But two of them are just like pals of mine. And it was so difficult and so tense. And Fermer, the guy for our broth, the farmer in there, he said, I'm not sure we're going to be friends after this. Did he? Yeah. And his wife got him in so much trouble for doing it. Like, she said, it's a great message. Like... Everything you said is excellent, but why did you put your head above the parapet for that? Why did like why did it need to be you? Yeah. Get somebody else to do that. Yeah. Like you could damage your own reputation. And it was for all three of us, we were all shiting ourselves before that came out. Mm-hmm. Like I thought like I did that in a way that I thought this is the end of me as a broadcaster. Really? Yeah. Because I was like, I need to be completely upfront and honest about this. I need to put all my sins out there in public. And I need my friends to do the same. Yeah. Otherwise, no man's going to take me seriously in this space. Yeah. And I really thought that quite legitimately people wouldn't want to work with me after that. Mm -hmm. Um, Has it been quite the opposite? It's been weirdly the opposite, which also I'm not totally comfortable with either. Right. I I don't want to grow my profile. Based off of that. Mm, It doesn't feel like the right thing. Yeah. I like to grow off writing. I like to grow off kind of doing documentary work around Scottish culture and history and that kind of thing. That's where I think, you know, I'm working away as a professional in an area. Yeah. Like, grow that. But the idea of, and it's quite seductive, Mm -hmm. like getting invited on this lovely podcast in this great studio to come and talk about this thing, it could be seductive. You could see how, and I've heard from my girlfriend who works a lot in the women's space, you do get men who are slightly predatory coming into this space. One of the people I worked with on the That Guy, I think he is absolutely using that space to purely to burnish a reputation with women. I don't think he's got any intent, not naming any names. But I don't think they've got any real intent around the subject matter. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think there's a few men that do use the fact that you can get a platform saying these things. Yeah. And that you're rare in being the one to speak up and say it is like, yeah, I, I 100%. I'm just thinking about 
it's slightly different, but there are a couple of relationship type guys mm. who will coach women on like what their standards should be and this and that. And sure. I've actually heard things about them where they make the people they're dating sign NDAs because they don't want anything out there about how they actually treat women. Oof. So it's them talking all Oof. of this chat about how you know, how women should be treated and then doing it behind closed doors, just doing the complete opposite. Um, I get my girlfriend to sign an NDA so she can't tell anyone I spend my Saturday nights <laughs> drinking tea and painting Warhammer. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> exactly. So just circling back about the language, I mm. don't know if you know this, but I heard a, it was a while ago, so it could be, I think this is the facts basically, but there is a woman called Laura Bates and I think she is an author. She wrote a book called... Men Who Hate Women. Men Who Hate Women. I'm reading yeah. it right now. Yeah, and I heard her on an interview once talk about incel culture. Mm. So incel is involuntary celibacy. It's mm -hmm. men who basically hate women because mm. they won't have sex with them yes. or give them attention. And it's, it's actually quite scary when you look into it. And she said that... There was a whole investigation done into how incels recruit young boys. Mm -hmm. And it, this absolutely blew my mind. And they go on games like Call of Duty and they listen out for the kids who are like 12, 13 years old who are going, oh, fuck your mum, your mum's a whore, your mum's a slut, da 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 and that is how they recruit them because mm. they're listening for that language and hatred towards women. So again, going back to that gap, it can start with you and your mates on cod talking about you know your mum this and your mum that and your sister and i'm gonna yeah. screw your sister and you know a percentage of those will then turn into incel which it's exactly like it's yeah. completely the same process and the thing is like speaking about involuntary celibates in scotland that is a phenomenon that's existed for a long time in the hebrides and the islands of the west there's always been more men than women because there's more opportunities for men to farm the land etc right. women can't inherit so there's always been loads of involuntary celibates in the Hebrides. It's a lifestyle. It happens. Yeah. Men can be sexless without becoming violent towards women. Yeah. Like the fact of them not having sex has nothing to do with their violence against women. My only concern with the incel culture as it's presented is I do feel it's a distraction. Mm -hmm. I don't th like men want to not bear the responsibility for the, for the violence against women epidemic that is there. Right. Mm -hmm. So they want to outsource it to monsters like Sarah Everard's killer, like these kind of extreme examples that are nothing like us. Yeah. Or they want to make it into a little known group of freaks that they can say, ah, well, I'm not an incel and I'm not a monster. Right. So this conversation is not actually about me. Yeah, it and doesn't affect me. Incels are real and they need focus and they need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. But because they're so celebrated and the media is so focused on them, yeah. I feel it can take our eyes away from the fact that actually it's guys like me that are the mm -hmm. problem. It's yeah. very normal guys that are all around us. They're on the tube, they're at work. They're perfectly normal guys who present in normal ways 99% of the time, but they carry this inheritance of thinking that men are simply better than women and that they can carry that out in their words and actions. Yeah, it, It's keeping it in the mundane sphere that right. I think is important. Like and incels are absolutely there and they are, they need to be targeted. Yeah, but that's the extreme version is what you're I saying. I think so. And I think men use that as an excuse to say, well, it's nothing to do with me then. There's conversations yeah. about them and it's about them. It's not about me. In your opinion, why do you think some men don't want to associate themselves with this problem? Yeah, I would say like this thing about, oh, it's not all men. It absolutely. I'm quite comfortable. You might not be comfortable saying it. I'm comfortable saying it. it is all men and any men that it's not won't feel hurt by me saying that. If you're hearing 
it is all men and you're feeling threatened, it's probably because you have some guilt in this area, as most of us do. I'm not sat here because I'm some cherub. Like, I think when I was 17, 18, 19, my behaviour around women was not at mm. all something I'm proud of. I, like, quite shameful, in fact. Like, I, I used to always think that it was up to a man to go out and ask out loads of women and just, like, find out which one was keen. And I never thought about the consequences on, was I ruining all these different women's evenings mm. by going up and just inserting myself into their conversations and, like, taking up their space and taking up their time. I never thought about that. Mm. I was very kind of like that kind of dominant social thing. Loads of guys are doing that. That's not the extreme end of things, yeah. but it's part of the whole thing of I've got the right to a woman's attention. Yeah. Out of interest, you know, when you look back and reflect on when you're a bit younger, because I think I'm thinking of a guy in particular when I was 17 years old. He actually two years later found me in a nightclub. I was very drunk and was like, I really have to apologize to you for that night. And I said, oh, did you have you only just realized that what you did was totally wildly inappropriate and he said yeah because at the time my boyfriend Jack went and spoke to him and said she's told me about it it's totally wrong I can't believe you did that to my girlfriend da, 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 da. and in a way I was really glad that he did apologize to me it didn't take a, take away from it I think he learned from it but it was having that conversation with my boyfriend at the time that sort of male on male conversation he called him out on it and was like you know, she's been living with this for two years. You probably have never thought about it since it happened. That's and it. did you ever have any conversations with any of the women that you had experiences with where you think maybe you said that you felt maybe slightly shameful? Well, very shameful. Yeah, there, there's three incidents. And again, they're not at all at any kind of extreme end, but mm -hmm. like they're just ways of acting that I would never consider again. And yes, I, I know two of the people still. And so I've approached them and had conversations around it and, you know, like made it clear that that's not how I want to behave and I'm I'm obviously very sorry about it. And it is, yeah, it is that thing of... It's not just the shame of how I acted, it's also how long in terms of it took me to realise that it was not appropriate. And it's very difficult, especially as a working-class man in Scotland. You feel like you're the bottom of the pile, right? And I think this is important. Mm. You feel like you're the bottom and everyone is beating down on you. Because that's where I was born, I'm more likely than anywhere else in the UK to end up in prison in my life. Um, I've got like a really, really poor high school results because the schools are all pretty terrible around there. Like my job prospects coming out of high school were basically nil. It was a very kind of post-industrial. So you feel as a working class man, you've got no opportunity. Mm -hmm. And especially in the United Kingdom, you feel being Scottish an additional layer of like not having the access to the English cities and things like that because you're an outsider. So it's very hard to then recalibrate yourself and understand, actually, hold on, I'm in a position of privilege. I'm part of a systemic oppression against the people. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very hard grammar. You're always thinking, oh, these people are, they're out to get me. I need to fight against them. You don't see the harm you're causing. And it's very, very hard to realise or to start to see yourself as someone that's a harm doer. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to accept that. It's a very hard thing to accept. And it took me a long time to accept that myself and my friends were in this position where we were doing harm. Yeah. And I think, yeah. We are at this really odd stage. People talk about the kind of masculine identity crisis. I was recently lucky enough to visit my grandmother, who's a New Zealander. She lives over there. She's 98 and is still in tremendous health. So I was able to chat to her about all this. And she was telling me about how my great-granddad and my granddad and my dad were all trapped as men. They had to go out and work all day, every day at jobs they hated and were killing them for people that treated them really, really badly because as a man, they were required to be the breadwinner. Mm. They were required to go to the pub 
after work and drink six pints. They were suffering incredibly. She helped me understand that because all those three guys, I mean, they had their issues. Yeah. Like my great granddad, awful. My dad, a domestic <laughs> abuser. Like, right. Like not not good guys, but like so much suffering. Yeah. And I think we need to start looking at this masculine identity crisis that's coming from the collapse of that role. But mm-hmm. a very clear function, you know, you go and work and people respect you and that's you doing your job as a man. That's gone, right? Mm-hmm. I think we should look at that as a male liberation. I yeah. honestly think the fact we don't have to do that anymore, mm-hmm. the fact that our partners no longer look to us to earn all the money. Yeah. Like, I think that's such a good thing. We are liberated to try and be our fuller selves. Yeah. We should look at this identity crisis as a chance to go and find ourselves. Yeah. And you're saying you've been speaking about these kind of women's issues for two years, right? Mm-hmm. And women as far as I've seen from the Me Too movement and things like that, that's opened up this huge dialogue. And women are really starting to consider what their place is in the world and what they're what they should have the rights to in yeah. the world. Men are not having that conversation. Yeah. I really noticed when Sarah Everard was really horribly murdered, all my female friends were chatting about it. None of my male friends were chatting about it. It was yeah. nothing to do with us. A lot of my kind of male acquaintances still have the 1950s male attitudes of what a man is. It's, you know, eat a pie, drink a pint, go to the football, (laughs) uh, like chat some shit with your pals, never chat about your emotions and never meaningfully emotionally engage with yourself or your partner. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so crippling. Yeah. Women are developing massively and evolving massively. Men are not having that same conversation. And I think that's where you do hear feminist voices getting more and more frustrated. Yeah. Because men are not listening. As a mass, men are not listening. And I think that's where men can come in a bit just to try and drip feed some of that chat yeah. into male groups. Yeah. Because we need to start changing. Switching now on to like TFL, I, I had an experience back in October 2021. I was traveling to a work event about 6 p.m. and I was assaulted by a man on the tube. And it went on for three stops before somebody stepped in and helped me. And 6 p.m. on like a Thursday, I think it was, maybe, maybe a Thursday, the tube was full of people. And everybody was just turning their head as if to be like, I don't want to get involved with this. And the one guy that did help me when I went to the TFL people at the top of the station, the guy was still there following, sort of pursuing the situation. Uh, I was crying my eyes out. The guy was with me who helped. He said, you know, she's just been assaulted. I've seen it. And all that they did was hand me a leaflet about sexual harassment. And they said, here contact British Transport Police. And the guy that was with me, it was like his world had been opened at the moment. He was like, I don't think you understand. The guy is here right now. She's been assaulted. He will follow her out and God knows what will happen. Like, do you need my name? Do you need my number? Do we need to sit down? Do we need to get CCTV? Like, and there was no urgency about the situation. They let me walk out of there, you know, in an absolute state. And... What I have tried to do with TFL, I have done, um, I spoke to somebody about the training and I said, you know, what you need to do is actually educate men when they see it, what it is and how to safely intervene. As a guy, if you see something like that, what would you say is like a safe way to intervene? First of all, I'm so sorry that happened. That's a really horrible thing. It's a really horrible thing. Yeah, it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. In terms of intervening, 
there's a number of different approaches. First of all, like just simply coming over is often more than enough. Like not everyone's able to go and kung fu kick a guy across the jaw. Like, And you know what? In that moment, I didn't need that. You just needed someone to come and stand by you. Yeah. That's like, just just go over. Just say, are Are you you okay? okay? Yeah. Like, it's funny you should say that you've been speaking to them because on the tube on the way here, I did see an advertising thing on TFL just saying, like, is there a sexual assault going on around you? These simple words. And it's giving people the most basic tools. Yeah. Are you okay? Or if it's just happened, say, what happened was not okay. Yeah. Like, like, do you want to talk about it? And there's some helpful numbers there. And that's the beginning. It's given us these tools because people do want to intervene. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people in that carriage went home really ashamed of themselves. Yeah. And it's given them just the smallest tool saying, you don't have to come in and fight this guy. Yeah. Because that's not safe. Mm-hmm. That's not possible. Who knows who this guy is? Yeah. But just go over and say, are you okay? If you're a woman, go and just stand nearby and say, look, I'm, I'm here too. Yeah. If you're a man... Just go over and say, look, I'm, I am also here. Like, yeah. this isn't, what's going on is not okay. I, That's I've, the thing is yeah. you don't have to be aggressive with it. When I yeah. spoke to the training staff and I told them everything that I would have needed in that moment, the first thing was that I don't think people knew what was happening. Like, they, I don't know, they this whole idea of context, maybe they thought that I knew him. I mean, I think from an outsider's perspective, it was pretty clear that I didn't know him. I was running away from him. He was grabbing my feet, dragging me. It was like terrible, yeah. And I said, people need, it needs to be plastered everywhere on TFL, which you might have seen the posters, like you said, sexual harassment is this, sexual assault is this, taking a picture of someone's skirt is called upskirting, da 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 I was like, the fact that this people don't know this information is worrying. It needs to be everywhere on the Mm -hmm, tube. mm -hmm. And secondly, TFL need to do better when it does happen. So that man went on and assaulted three more women within the space of a week. And if they had taken it seriously when it happened to me, those three other women would not have had the same experience that I would have had. If he was going about beating up men, yeah. He would have absolutely been stopped. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. But you're right. The conversation is at that level. And it must be so frustrating for women like yourself. It must be so <laughs> frustrating that we need spoon-fed the most basic information. The awareness of yeah. it. Just like, be aware that you know, it's happening. Sexual assaults are happening all around you. Yeah. If, if you see one, it's your duty to get involved if it's safe to do so. The tools you need are to go over and say, are you okay? Yeah. Like I remember us heading home for uh, Hogmanay in Helsinki with my partner at the time and there was a woman on her own just like mid-twenties or whatever on her own obviously heading back from a party and a bunch of guys were hassling her and I was a bit drunk so I didn't have great awareness of exactly how to act so I just said to my partner I'm going to go and sit with her if that's okay and she was like yeah so I just went and sat with her Mm -hmm. and said said to all the guys like this is my sister Yeah. and I was like all fine all fine with you and I was too drunk to like but for them Coming and causing problems with a man yeah. was a much bigger threshold. Yeah. Because they don't know that I'm not going to get up and really go at them. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm actually quite drunk and sleeping at home. Yeah. But it's that thing of it's a much bigger threshold because I carry risk. And I also got that social thing of fighting a man. You know, yeah. the police get involved. Yeah. If, yeah, if you yeah, fight yeah. a man, you might get the jail. Yeah. Like it's much more serious. So simply as a man, you've got this additional authority that comes with a sexist society. Yeah. Whereas people will be less like to, likely to attack you. Yeah. So just go and put yourself with that woman. Mm. That's all. Like that, And that is something that men could and should be trying to do. I yeah. Think. So 
I look, reflect back on that situation that happened to me and that was probably the start of most of my activist stuff because mm. I was like, I was furious. Good. There was yeah. such a fire in my belly. I was like, yeah. I need I need to do something because I feel like I have no justice in the situation. Was there ever a key moment in time that you maybe witnessed or saw that changed your opinion on violence? Let me take you back a wee bit to my childhood. So there was a tremendous amount of male violence where I was growing up, Mm -hmm. right? And it was male violence against men and male violence against women. And as a young boy growing up, I had to find a way to safely navigate all that male violence. Yeah. So there's loads of fighting in the school, in the streets after school. Like it was very, very common for like dads to be fighting. Like it was a, a very violent culture. Yeah. And... There was also tremendous domestic violence. So in my home, yes, but also in a lot of the homes round about. So you had to find a way to navigate that. And I found that by going to Taekwondo and boxing and things like that, I was able to just then partake in the violence myself. Mm -hmm. And that was my way of navigating it. Mm -hmm. So understanding that there's a tremendous amount of violence was a huge part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. Then understanding the extent to which that was impacting females. That actually took a lot longer. And like, I would say... One of the great shocks, again, moving back to Dundee in 2020, I rented a flat in what I would describe as a normal working class part of town. Mm -hmm. So not at all like some area of multiple deprivation, nothing too extreme, just a normal working class community with nice neighbours, etc. My sister came and stayed at my flat when I was away for a few days. She went outside once and got so much kind of uh, sexual comments from just literally like during the day walking about that area Mm. and so much kind of sexual aggression from men that I saw literally every single day. She was too frightened to leave and she stayed in the house for two full days. Like, and I was like, what? And then my girlfriend who lived sort of half an hour walk from me, she walked up to my flat once or twice again during the day. One man grabbed her arse outside the pub Mm. and she got catcalled all the way up and all the way home. And she didn't even tell me for like a week because it was so normal to her. And I was talking about how much I loved living there because I thought it was class. Like, people were so friendly, the chat's always good. But the experience of being a man and being a woman were so radically different. So it's it's interesting. And I don't know if this is a right or wrong sort of analogy, but this has been something that I have said to guys that kind of helps them understand what it is like to feel that kind of vulnerability. And I say to them, Okay, what it is like is, imagine I said to you, go to the bank and take out everything, everything you've ever earned. Imagine it's a huge sum of money and it's all pinned to you. 40 quid. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's, you know, everything you've ever earned, all of your assets, everything. And (laughs) maybe, maybe not 40 quid. And have it plastered to yourself. And then I want you to walk from A to B and feel safe. I see like a switch go off in their head and I say, that's what it feels like to have a vagina. You feel vulnerable. Mm. You feel Mm. so vulnerable because it's something that some men feel entitled to. Mm. And you have no control over it, no power over it. And that is a walk to the shop to get milk, a walk round the block to let the dog go for a wee. It's that vulnerability that I don't think Mm. guys ever really can understand. So whenever I use that analogy, I kind of see a light go off in the head and they think, oh my God, Mm. you Mm. feel that every day? I'm like, yep, from walking from the tube to here. 
totally, totally. Even the conversation of equality. I was at a wedding recently and this this woman's husband was really challenging me being like, oh, you're a feminist, are you? And I was like, okay, well. He sounds lovely, can I say? Yeah, I I was like, come on, then let's have this conversation at a wedding because it's really appropriate. And, you know, we, we started talking and he said, oh, you know, things are so hard for me as a man and da, 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 all of this nonsense and he said well women are equal you guys can work now you guys can choose to have children if you want it was such a like privileged mindset that he was coming from Mm. and I started reeling off these stats I was like you know that we're a hundred years away from global gender equality you know a woman in the Arab states can't leave her husband unless he has her permission like she is stuck when you think about all the things Mm. even in some countries it's legal to marry your daughter off at 13 years old still and It got to the point where we were having this conversation. I was reading off all these facts. And it's not until I said to him, in the UK, every three days, a woman is killed at the hands of a man. That he was like, that can't be true. I was like, that is an absolute fact. Yeah. And you can fact check it every three days. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And tell me now that we feel equal or that we have the same rights that you do. I I remember at the beginning of Am I That Guy, you had that politician who listed off every year the amount of women who had been killed at the hands of men. And it was sobering hearing it. Every year she does it. And it just... It's so sad. And the important thing for men to understand is that's only the tip of the iceberg. Like that's, that's the tip. That's the most violent. And that is horrible. Mm. But beneath that, there's this whole pile of sexual assault and violence that leads to that and is part of that. But it starts with language. It yeah. starts with behaviour in a bar. It starts with behaviour in a gym. Mm. And it does lead to that. It allows that. And socially, we need to find a way to start just chipping away. We're not. I don't think we are going to solve it overnight, but just... Chipping yeah. away the iceberg. And- You've really opened my eyes in this conversation about, you know, when I brought up incels and, you know, Sarah Everett's killer, like, you're right, those are the extremes, but it's in the middle is where the change is kind of going to start, like, I believe happening. So. I believe those so. are the people who are not on the extreme end, but they can sort of have their minds changed and be called up on it and called, like you said, into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where the change we're probably going to see start to happen. We've inherited a deeply sexist culture like we've inherited that it's none of our faults we've inherited that but it's our fault if we continue to perpetuate it yeah so let's let's correct our own behavior let's acknowledge that it's there let's acknowledge the harm it's causing but acknowledge also that we're actually all right guys at the heart of it yeah we just have these terrible behaviors because we've been shown that's what correct is yeah let's get rid of that yeah oh my god amazing this has been such a great conversation to have with you thank you so much for coming on and obviously like sharing some of the stuff that you've shared and been vulnerable with me like it's like the start of change is what I feel when I have a conversation with you about stuff like this I know we had a call before and I said like obviously if you want to plug anything and you're like no I'm not here to do that I'm just here to have this conversation no. but is well, there this, anything this is my friend Turameki who's a very good female artist <laughs> you can buy this at uh, look is at, that a uh, lobster <laughs> it's, it's a crayfish a crayfish I forget okay. what they call them It's so she's Maori and I forget exactly what they're called Maori but anyway Turameki Harrington find her on Instagram okay. buy her gear <laughs> okay and is there anywhere that you want 
want to maybe like send people to that guy.co.uk to check things out? Or... Yeah, so I would say in Scotland, that guy.co.uk is a great resource. And actually that like it is great resource for all over the UK. So if you are a parent, if you're, you know, a girlfriend who has a receptive boyfriend who could maybe think about engaging with this stuff again in a non-judgmental safe space, this is a great way to approach it because a lot of guys out there see these kind of dodgy behaviors amongst their male friends but don't have the toolkit mm-hmm. to go and approach that in a safe and useful way. Mm-hmm. That guy.co.uk is full of that stuff. I would also recommend checking out Graham Golden. He has a little website himself where he puts these useful things. He worked with the police for a while trying to help them be less terrible. Amazing. Uh, I don't know what progress he made in that specific sphere, but... Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for spending the time and having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I guess go check out thatguy.co.uk. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) 